0: Hello, and welcome to Being Well. On this episode about being for yourself, we'll start to learn how to actually do this, how to develop a basic psychological stance of being on your own side. And we'll do this by applying both the wisdom of the ancients, including some lessons from the contemplative tradition of Buddhism and lessons from modern psychology and neuroscience. At about the 14 minute mark, I move into an experiential practice. It's designed to help you get more in touch with the three fundamental ways of working with your mind productively. Letting be, letting go, and letting in. Let's begin. So last time, those of you who survived the evening, uh, my little Neurodharma Express talk, uh, understand now in a whole new way that our thoughts and our feelings, our joys and our sorrows, right, our cravings and the end to our cravings, our suffering and the end to our suffering is linked to underlying physical, biological, neural evolutionary processes, which can be kind of wild to think about and can really take you into an intimacy with your own body and your own deeply rooted, deeply conditioned through evolution over hundreds of millions of years, your own animal nature. The question then becomes to pick up on two themes that the Buddha and other great teachers have emphasized throughout history. The takeaway then is, wow, if my thoughts and feelings are continually changing my brain, for better or worse. I'm continually restructuring my brain as I learn emotionally, right? What is that takeaway from that? And to summarize in two words, I think a lot of teaching about this, the takeaway is opportunity. We really do have the power to shift things over time for the better. And Modern MRIs are confirming what the wisdom teachers have known, that practice makes perfect, that practice works. So there's an opportunity. It's up to us to act on our own behalf and gradually incline our mind in a wholesome direction that's increasingly woven into our own nervous system, our own body. To take that kind of responsibility that will capture this opportunity for wholesome change, everyday well-being, everyday effectiveness, as well as healing old pain, and as well as moving up the path of awakening uh, into the upper reaches of human potential, maybe even all the way in this lifetime. Right To do that, to fulfill our responsibility and to capture this opportunity, we need to be on our own side. We need to be, in the Buddha's final words, on his own deathbed, we need to be a light unto ourselves. As he also said, if one facing a swollen river, sweeping along, is also swept along, how can one help other beings across? How can we be of any good to others if we're not willing to take good care of ourselves and to nurture ourselves over time? I'd like to try to blend together two major themes in the context of doing a practice with you and then hearing what you think about this. So the theme on the one hand, the first of my two themes, is this notion of being a friend to yourself, being a mita, a spiritual friend to yourself, being an ally to oneself, being for oneself, not against others, but for oneself, being on your own side which can have a quality in it of a kind of top-down direction to yourself, like go left, don't go right, it also very much has a kind of internal warmth to it, a kind of kindness or sweetness, a self-compassion, a gentleness, a tenderness with ourselves, the one being over whom we have the greatest power, and therefore the one being to whom we have the highest duty. That's my first theme. The second theme is to look at how to be for ourselves in the context of the three great ways to engage the mind. To be with it, or to release the negative, or to take in and grow the positive. So I want to use that framework, which I'll talk about momentarily, as the frame for doing a little practice with you about being for yourself, wishing yourself well, being on your own side. That's what I'm going to try to weave together here. Okay. So with I want to kind of set up this three-part framework, let be, let go, let in, the three ways to engage the mind, or if the mind were a garden, witness it, pull the weeds, plant the flowers, the three great ways to engage the mind. I want to set that up as a framework and then do a little practice with you about that, and then talk about it. Now, sometimes it is said in certain circles, uh, in some spiritual circles, uh, currently some Buddhist circles, non-dual circles, even psychotherapeutic circles, that the only proper way to practice is simply to witness, to simply observe the stream of consciousness and let it be, and that's all you need this view is controversial. Uh, personally, I and I think a number of people, and I can now quote Joseph Goldstein, a major teacher in Western Buddhism, who I interviewed on Monday for this little series I'm doing that will be freely offered, and you'll hear about it. Um, you know, I, I and he and other people think that's not enough. So I kind of want to walk through this. So a very important way to engage our mind. It's like a stance. What's our relationship to the mind? One very important way is to see what's there, to experience our experience, to feel our feelings, without trying to influence them one way or another. Right? We may not like them, we may not prefer them, but we're letting them be. We're unpacking them, we're airing them out. We're bringing to bear the two great uh, tools, the ancient tools of the physician, the healer, light and air. Right? We're feeling down to the younger layers, maybe the more vulnerable layers, the softer layers, under the harsher or more brittle the, or more adult or angry layers. We're sensing down into the hurt, the sadness, the shame, the tenderness underneath it all. We're investigating which is one of the seven factors of awakening in Buddhism, sometimes said to be the most important factor of all. Investigation, curiosity, interest. That's what we're doing in the first way to engage the mind. Hopefully we're holding our pain, we're holding our sorrow, or we're holding our joys in a large space of open awareness. Instead of being identified with it, sucked into it, we're stepping apart from it, we're witnessing it, typically with some kind of warm-heartedness or friendliness, uh, certainly acceptance in our attitude toward what it is that we're witnessing. That's the first great way to engage the mind. Personally, I think it's the foundation of the other two. And as we progress in practice, it really becomes increasingly primary. And there are certain kinds of profound teachings and, and insights and liberations that are really only available, I think, when you utterly let go into the stream of consciousness and you start observing ever more finely uh, its foaminess, its insubstantiality, its emptiness, quote-unquote, as an experience. And therefore its incapacity to be any reliable basis for lasting happiness. And sometimes when we simply witness, we just be with what's there, it gradually evaporates. Like dark morning mists as the sun rises over the course of the day. But does that happen all the time? As we saw last time, these mental patterns that we're having, our, our anxiety, our irritation, uh, the sense of contraction from the way we grew up inside, the sort of muzzling of our own self-expression, the way that it's hard to actually ask for love, or to speak from the heart, or to stay strong when other people are kind of intimidating, whatever it might be. Those patterns in the mind-brain are physical. They're installed, and the brain doesn't want to change easily, because if it did, we could never retain any learning, right? We could never remember where the watering hole is, or what a lion smells like, or how to navigate some kind of tricky interaction in our band, right? The brain is stable. It's, it can change, but it tends to resist change. Right? It doesn't just always change on its own, even if we witness, witness, witness. That takes us then to the second great way to engage the mind, in which we let go of what's negative. And for the second and third ways to engage the mind, which I kind of lump under the general, which in the Buddha lumped under the general heading of wise effort. In the second way, we try to prevent, decrease, or eliminate the negative. And in the third way to engage the mind, under the heading of wise effort, we try to create, maintain, or grow the positive. That's under the heading of reducing the negative or increasing the positive. Or as I put it, pulling weeds or planting flowers in the garden of the mind. Or, to summarize in six words, let be, let go, let in. All are important. The Buddha didn't just say, only be mindful, only witness. He said also, seven other elements of the Noble Eightfold Path, including wise view, wise intention, wise speech, and wise effort. I think it's also important to engage in wise effort because sometimes we have to resource ourselves to be able to witness our own feelings, to bear our own experience, to stay with it, right? Otherwise, opening to your own experience can be like opening a trapdoor to hell. Right? It's also true that Sometimes people jump too quickly to the fix-it mode, right? They want to let go too soon, or they want to take in the good too soon, grow the flowers too soon. I've been there, right? Maybe not coincidentally because I'm a guy. Uh, I had to learn that, you know, for my letting go and letting in to really have traction, I had to first really let be. I had to really do that practice. So you can kind of ask yourself, where are, your, where, where are your strengths? Where are your weaknesses? What would balance your practice better? On the other side of it, I don't know about you, but I've known a fair number of people who could give you a master's thesis on their own psychology. They understand it deeply, they've witnessed it a lot. Uh, they can go off on retreat and come back, and you know, they've done a lot of witnessing. And you know what? There's still a pain to live with <laughs> or work with or sleep with, you know, right? And so we need the whole toolkit. So if we're going to be focusing on cultivation, which I do hope to do increasingly in here, um, it's helpful to put it in context. So in this framework then, I thought we could do a little practice here and get a taste of each one of those three ways to engage the mind. Okay, so I'm going to use the one about being on your own side, okay? And if you could, this is a little, uh, artificial is not quite the right word. It's deliberate. I'm going to ask you to deliberately be aware of ways in which you, as it were, do feel warmly toward yourself. You are caring toward yourself. You know, you're an ally to yourself on the one hand, but also be aware of ways that you're not. Maybe a way that you're you are an exaggerated self-critic. You're pounding on yourself more than is really fair. Or uh, some way that you feel like it would be vain or sinful or you know, conceited somehow to try to wish yourself well. Because we need to have both something to let go of and something to grow Though, to begin with, we're just going to witness both of these qualities as a kind of exploration. So, let's begin. And I'll do about two minutes for each one. And as any kind of experiment, see what comes up for you when we do this. All right? So, to begin with, just taking a couple minutes here, see if you can simply investigate or explore, survey, your own tendencies, and especially the experience. What's it feel like to be critical of yourself or pushy toward yourself? You know, or dismissive of your deep needs. Maybe with a little shaming tone. And also see if you can explore, just being with here, you're not trying to change anything, also explore what it feels like to be more of an advocate for yourself? Someone who has self-compassion, perhaps? So I'll be quiet here as you just take a couple minutes to explore this territory inside your own psyche. In simple terms, what's it like to be warm toward yourself and what's it like to be mean toward yourself? So that was two minutes of exploration. can seem like a long time. And now let's shift into the second way to engage the mind, pulling weeds, letting go, decreasing the negative. And so, again, for two minutes, see if you can deliberately and gently let go of self-criticism or harshness, toward yourself, or shaming directed toward yourself, just you're not going to let go of all of it unless there's a miracle cure here, but if you can, see if you can let it go. One way to do this is through exhaling. As you exhale there's a kind of releasing, There can be a kind of letting go of thoughts that are overly negative, exaggerated or harsh, standards that are unfair, kind of a letting go. Visually, you might imagine taking this inner character um, that's critical of you, or maybe they're a couple, like a critic and a judge, and imagine that they are now seated at the far distant end of kind of an inner table in your mind that's as long as a football field. And that's your inner committee, and they're on the committee, as every part of you is, but they're way at the other end. Whatever you like, focusing on now for two minutes, exploring what it's like to release this negative material. could be as simple as a sense of not me, separating from that critical voice, not really me. That was another two minutes. And now probably the most enjoyable two minutes See if you can really let in a sense of being for yourself. You may remember from last week that to take in the good, you first need to have the experience, and then you install it in your brain by enriching it and absorbing it. Let it last, help it be more intense, give yourself over to it. Help it sink into you as you sink into it. So locating perhaps a kind of a sense of strength on your own behalf, like you're gonna be sticking up for yourself. That's one aspect of being for yourself. You might feel it in your face, a kind of determination, perhaps in your body. Another aspect of being for yourself is a kindness, a friendliness toward yourself. You know your own sorrows and struggles better than anyone. You know how hard you try, what you call yourself to every day. You know your own lovingness, what is true about you. You can have a sweetness for yourself here, too. So, for the next two minutes, helping grow inside the garden of your mind, this quality of being a light unto yourself. You might express this with soft thoughts like, may I be well, may I be truly happy, may I be at peace, may I be awakened in this life. Okay. That was another two minutes. You might ask which one went by more quickly, right? <laughs> or most quickly. The last thing I'll say briefly is that in passing, there's often a natural sequence when we're upset about something. We start with just being with it. Maybe we're working with trauma coming up for us, or maybe we're just are stuck in traffic and we've got to get to a meeting and we're gonna be late and it's gonna be embarrassing or something, or maybe we're arguing with somebody and we're just revved up around it, or we want something to happen, it's just not happening, okay? We start with the upset. Step one is to witness it. It's to be with it. Let it be. Unpack it. Explore it. Hold it in a big space of mindfulness. Try to disidentify from it. Step back from it. Try to sense down to what's more vulnerable or perhaps younger. At some point, it will feel right to shift into the second phase. The letting go phase, you try to relax the body, you exhale, kind of calm down, talk yourself off the ledge, right? Um, Challenge these negativistic thoughts. That's the second phase. Maybe vent, maybe cry. It's a releasing phase. You're not forcing it, but you are encouraging it to release. You're letting it release. And then at some point, too, it'll feel right. Okay, there's enough of a stability or there's enough of a space. Now, what could I take in? What could I replace what I've released with? What would be a good replacement for what I've released? You know, if I've released anxiety, could I replace it with feeling stronger or more protected? If I've released loss or frustration, disappointment, could I replace that with feelings of gladness or gratitude or accomplishment or pleasure? Or if I've released heartache, you know, feeling hurt or inadequate or unloved, could I replace that with feeling included, feeling seen, feeling taken care of in the ways that it's true? And even replace that with feeling loving, compassionate, and caring myself. Right? So there's kind of a rhythm to this, right? And you can use these three ways to engage the mind as a kind of roadmap for yourself or for other people if you work with them. This little framework, for me, has been incredibly helpful. And it's a way to understand what we're doing in terms of different kinds of practice. As the Buddha himself said, ehi pasiko, see for yourself. That's it for this episode. Please join me again later this week. For a simple experiential practice that's designed to give you a greater sense of self-compassion. If you enjoyed the podcast, please consider subscribing to it. I always appreciate your support. I'm Rick Hansen, and be well.